Hello, welcome back, friends and fans of the Silver Screen Podcast, to another episode in this, our second series, and a very Marvel-heavy series it's been so far. Uh, we've already done video on our top 10 Marvel on the both Doctor Strange movies, uh, and previously in a different series we did a video on the Eternals. Uh, and we are here today to do a review, very timely review, of Thor Ragnarok, uh, just in time for the release of Thor Love and Thunder, which should be getting released, I think, today as this goes out. So, fingers crossed. So, we're looking at uh, director Taika Waititi's first Thor movie. We did already look at what we do in the shadows last week. Hopefully, you all got a chance to enjoy that. Uh, as has become common for when I'm reviewing Marvel movies, I am joined uh, by the usual guest, uh, and that is Toby, all the way from Germany. <laughs> Hi. Yeah, I couldn't make the Doctor Strange recording. <laughs> I was <laughs> going to be there on that stuff. Happening. Yeah, but you, to be fair, you are on the Top 10 Marvel and the Eternals yeah. review already. So. Oh, yeah, the Eternals review. Yeah, I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Long time and, ago. Uh, as always, I am joined, internet permitting, by my usual co-host <laughs> from Spain, DK. Hello. <laughs> and... Uh, I am just Mike from the good old UK, so yeah, we've got a bit of a European All-Stars episode this week, because we're going to be from England, Spain and Germany discussing Norse mythology. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, as I said, we're going to be talking all things Thor Ragnarok, we're going to get into a review and everything of it a little bit later, but um, as you know, if you have been listening or watching the podcast this last series, the format is that we always start with the behind-the-scenes section. So we're going to cross our fingers and we're going to go over to DK with uh, some behind the scenes information on this movie. DK, take it away if you can. Okay. All right. I was going to say, Mike, I found so much cool stuff this week, which both mm -hmm. as a movie fan and a Marvel fan, I found absolutely fascinating. So bear with me on there. That's now, right. a lot of this stuff's mentioned in the Blu-ray commentary. That's that's ah. just how much there is. I've deliberately avoided IMDb this week, because honestly, <laughs> I could have doubled the amount of trivia on this and still nowhere near scratch the surface, but here's what I unearthed while looking at this one. Now, it'll come as no surprise to you, Mike, after what we covered last week's episode, and if you haven't yet, please check that out, but uh, Waititi claims that the dialogue, dialogue in this was mostly improvised, up to 80%, with the actors just knowing the general direction the story was supposed to go and then acting it out to the best of their ability. Now, this was done to create a more fun and spontaneous set, although some had a little trouble with it. Mark Ruffalo at one point whispered in Watiti's ear, saying he would be surprised if they were to come back after the weekend, as the producers would be so pissed at the way Watiti run a set. Hmm. Now, R Ruffalo, obviously speaking from experience of getting ass his ass kicked on several occasions. However, Watiti claims that at no point did Marvel ask him to tone it down. Well, strangely enough, one of the most famous lines in the movie, the I know him, he's a friend from work, was not ad-libbed, but suggested by a visiting child from the Make-A-Wish Foundation who suggested it. YTT loved it and included the line. So, nice one, kid. Now, YTT was inspired by several sources for the movie, a primary one being the movie Big Trouble in Little China, with Thor taking the role of Jack Burton. With Neil and I's also been cited as having influenced the movie, as Waititi wanted the Grant and McGann type of relationship between Thor and Banner. Now, another fun little aside that listeners to last week's episode will appreciate. At one point in the proceedings, Korg offers Thor a three-pronged wooden spear and says, excuse me, I'm not doing the accent because I can't, it's not much use unless you want to kill three vampires who are all clustered together. <laughs> Obviously a clear nod to something not a million miles away. Yeah. Now, Anthony Hopkins had zero desire to return to playing Odin after 2013's Thor The Dark World. 
By all accounts, he found working on that movie a depressing experience. He returned for this one after reading the story that Waititi put forwards. Unfortunately, he had to shoot his final scenes twice as test audiences filmed his original death scene just too sad, so goodness knows what that consisted of. In the scene where Thor's being nursed back to health, although we only see the nurses from above and don't see the faces, two of these are actually Chelsea Winstanley and Elsa Pataki, the wives of Waititi and Hemsworth, respectively. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, as well as directing the movie, Waititi also plays a part in the movie, which is... Uh, well, there's a, there's a couple, actually, but uh, obviously he plays Korg. Yeah. Yeah, it was basically, it apparently it's based on Polynesian bouncers who he's encountered that are incredibly well built, are the sweetest souls you can imagine. Yeah. But as you guess, not only is he Korg, he's got other parts in the movie. He plays one of the heads of the three-headed alien that we can see at oh, various yeah. points in the background. I made a note what? of that because the other ones are Chris Hemsworth and I couldn't find out who the third one was. I couldn't pin that either. And... Uh, and while Clancy Brown is the voice of Serta, the mocap for the fire demon is once again Taika Waititi. Oh. As he described himself, he is the greatest actor in the world, not New Zealand, the world. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, Sakaar is heavily influenced by the work of uh, Jack Kirby. I would argue in a much more successful way than the Eternals movie, going back to uh, what you guys were talking about earlier. Mm. Now... The line and colours of the architecture on the Batworld is obviously heavily, heavily influenced by the King's work, and many of the aliens seen in the arena are based on Kirby designs. In fact, the mural scene in the Grandmaster's viewing box is a blown-up work of Kirby art, which is taken from Fantastic Four number 64, July 1967. Wow. And as for the faces seen on the Grandmaster's tower, they are... Any guesses, anyone? Well, one of them's definitely Beta Ray Bill. <laughs> yep. Uh, any others? Other than Hulk, right? No, no, no. Well, I think it might have been later on, yeah. But the others, when he first gets there, one is Ares, oh, one okay. is a, an android called Bi-Beast from the comics, and one is Man-Thing, which I couldn't quite oh, place myself. I think I remember seeing that because somebody had zoomed in and it does look very uh, Man-Thing. I can understand that. That's fair enough. Yeah. Gerge has a shape weight in this movie, hidden in his stash on the Bifrost. <laughs> now, the shape weight actually belongs to Waititi. He purchased it in New Orleans while working on 2011's Green Lantern adaptation for Warner Brothers and kept hold of it ever since, to bring it in to be used on screen of this movie. So, you know, ironically enough, that makes that shape weight more successful career-wise post-Green Lantern than Tim Robbins. <laughs> this is the first movie since Jurassic Park that features both Sam Neill and Jeff Goldblum. Mm -hmm. And although in the comic books, The Grandmaster's Blue Skin, Waititi decided against having Goldblum appear in blue makeup as he felt he was a good actor without it. And let's face it, you know, who wouldn't? And because he'd already played the blue-skinned or third character in Earth Girls Are Easy. Although while we're on the subject of the god that is Jeff Goldblum, did you know that he was previously considered for the role of Banner in Ang Lee's 2003 Hulk adaptation? No, but I want to see that now. <laughs> oh, exactly. Wow. In fact, there's a reference you, to this. You won't like me when I'm angry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There is a reference to this in this movie when the Grandmaster labels the Hulk as incredibly unique and that, and I quote, he has a very special connection to him. Oh, cool. Now, regarding the Hulk himself, this is the first time in the MCU that Ruffalo voiced the character up until this movie. And honestly, this is something I didn't really? know. Yeah, I didn't know this. Lou Ferrino voiced it up until this point. I did know that Farino had voiced the character in Hulk and the Incredible Hulk, but I thought Ruffalo did the voice work in Avengers. I could be wrong. No, that was Farino also. Yeah. And finally, following on from last week's alternate titles in different territories, there's a killer one for this. As a homage to the Kushin Takami story, 
this movie in Japan was simply retitled as Thor Battle Royale. Oh, cool. nice. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it. Yeah. And that's it for this week, mate. Well, it isn't because I have a couple of things. <laughs> Ooh, you bitch. I have one thing. <laughs> okay, well, do you want to go first, Toby, with your yeah, behind the scenes? Because thing? we were at names, and the movie in Germany is not called Thor Ragnarok. It's uh, Thor der Tag der Entscheidung, which translates to Day of Judgment. Wow. That sounds <laughs> epic. Cool <laughs> so, what, what do you guys call Terminator 2? <laughs> uh, I don't know that one. Because <laughs> that is judgment day, you see, to us. But uh, yeah, awesome day of judgment. This is the day of revenge. Oh, okay. Fair no. enough. <laughs> nice. Nice, nice. Okay. Um, well, so the couple of things that I have actually uh, on this movie that were just things that I already knew. I didn't really go looking. Uh, and the first one is that this is actually not the Grandmaster's first appearance in the MCU. Uh, if uh, you aren't aware of it, the Grandmaster is seen dancing in the credits to Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Uh, yeah. as a nod uh, a nod to his uh, connection to the collector i think they're brothers in the comics yeah so it made sense to kind of fit him in there uh, and finally this movie is obviously based on several comic stories all combined including obviously thor ragnarok but also contest of champions and planet hulk so there you go <laughs> uh yeah so that's basically i think that's everything unless anybody has anything else about the behind the scenes or uh <laughs> alternate titles etc so um, no. I will move us into the bulk of the review then, uh, and I want to do something a little bit different just before I start the review, if I can. Now, fingers crossed this works. Technology, you know, <laughs> it, it's uh, hit or miss for us, but basically going to uh, start our review by the giving the words of the director of this film uh, from the intro to the DVD and Blu-ray, in case anybody hasn't heard it, because frankly, it's pretty good. So, <laughs> fingers crossed, and uh, let's see if this works. My name is Michael Weiss. I am the director of Thor Ragnarok. Ultimately, this film is about Thor Ragnarok and his <laughs> journey to, to some outer space places. People often ask me, why did you become a filmmaker? Well, the main reason, just wanted to impress my mum and dad and to show them I'm not a loser. I get what you say. I can achieve some dreams, not my own dreams, but other people's dreams. I can get close to being J.J. Abrams. I know you wanted him as a son, but you got me. I'm sorry I'm not J.J. Abrams. They say, oh, Tiger, we wish we called you J.J. Abrams. It would have been so much cooler. You'd have done Star Wars. Well, it didn't. All right, Mum and Dad, I didn't. You're stuck with me. I, I love that, especially because now he's do doing a Star Wars film anyway. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I did hear that, yeah. I thought that when I was watching it as well, but I just love that that if that doesn't give you any indication before even watching the movie of just how irreverent and kind of uh, wacky and off the wall it's going to be, then that says it all. I'm going to do then, we have, uh, as, as I said, if you are uh, familiar with the podcast, this series, we don't really take it chronologically anymore. We just break it down into sections, that being the likes of acting, writing, direction, uh, music, individual scenes, and then obviously favorite character moment line and our conclusion um so um, and it's a pretty free flow ah, free form sorry uh, so we can take it anywhere we like if something else comes up or as we discuss something if something relevant to it is, is mentioned so uh yeah it's basically a loose structure but it's just to keep us in some kind of form uh and so um the first section that we always or that i always have written down here is acting which makes the most sense from this film's perspective 
so without wanting to get, sort of put words in anybody's mouth, I'm going to start with you, Toby, and ask if you had any specific notes about the acting in this movie. I One thing I noticed is that, um, you know, a lot of times when movies are more comedic, um, it's just acted well and stuff, but in this movie you really feel that the actors also not only acted this out, but also had fun with it and mm. went yeah. there with it and played it up. And, you know, there are moments, I, I, I don't have one particular, but there are moments where you can just see that it's not just acted out, it's just also having fun on set and having yeah. fun. It probably stems from the um, the loose kind of ad-libbing situation that, that DK mentioned, because if you're not having to stick to a rigid script, I think it probably does make you feel a bit looser and a bit more free to have a bit of fun with it. Um, so yeah, I definitely can see what you mean with that. Uh, what about you, DK? Any general things before I get into specifics about the acting? Well, I mean, again, I can't, I can't fault any performance. I mean, for the most part, they're good. And if the reports are, you know, on the improvisation, I typically believed because it is what it is. So you know, you take what he what he tells you at face value a lot of the time. <laughs> but a lot of them have got really good. Comedy, comedy chops, especially Hemsworth. I mean, there's a couple oh, of yeah. things that seem a little forced, but even so, you know, I think good. I think it's very... I'm inclined to believe it when it comes to Hemsworth because I don't know if either of you have seen the controversial Ghostbusters movie with, uh, you know, all-female Ghostbusters. But he oh, is the I best thing. Uh, yeah, he's the best I, thing in that movie as I'll well. I'll be honest, I actually enjoyed it. I don't see I what enjoyed it. Why it everyone is, yeah. hates it. I mean, and, yeah, he is really good in it. He's great in that, and I've heard, although I haven't seen it, that he's great in the remake of uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. So I think he has got comedy chops, and uh, that is quite hard to do. It's, uh, you know, the old phrase goes, isn't it? You know, dying is easy, uh, comedy is hard. Um, so I, I give Hemsworth a lot of credit for that, and this is it is good that this is the first time, really, that we've been fully able to lean into those comedic chops, but I do think they were there. People say they weren't there in those first two movies, and I would I would disagree. I think there's there's definitely moments there, especially in that first movie when he's doing the whole fish out of water, you know, smashing the cup and this drink, I like it. Bring me another yeah. kind of thing, though. Or um, you are no match for the mighty Thor, and then he just gets tased. You know, I think that humor is there. Um, so it's unfair to say that it isn't. Uh, but you know, um, I did yeah, like the, I did like what seemed improvisational in this one on that little aside where he says, you know, I really like snakes, and the one time he turned into a <laughs> snake, and I picked it up, and he went, bit me. And, you know, I like that because uh, that's th that is one of those great jokes that totally misleads you because you're expecting it to be something about the snake biting him, and it's the way he does the joke because he's like, he knows I love snakes, so I picked it up, inspected the snake, and then he turned back into Loki, stabbed me, and he was like, "Ha, ah, it was me the whole time." Yeah, like, that's just so great. You're expecting like, oh, the snake bit me or something, and it was it was literally for no reason except to just get close to him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's a few good moments like that. He's good. like I said, he's good at delivering jokes and he's good at the timing, which is quite hard. But I also think Hemsworth is great at the dramatic stuff in this film as well. Uh, he pulls the, you know, the whole 360 off, the, the whole uh, package, I guess. So because um, he he is sad when he needs to be, he's thrilling and kind of heroic when he needs to be, and he's also really funny. So uh, yeah. yeah, great job, Hemsworth. Um, the next person I have a note about because I've basically tried to break it down by actors, and there's a lot of them in this film. Uh, so the next person I naturally came to was obviously Tom Hiddleston. Um, which I said, basically, as above, it, it was good that he got a chance to portray his comedic jobs, um, yeah. because he'd very much been sort of 
villain who will betray you up until this point. And it's, it showed that I, I think this potentially might well be when Marvel were like, this guy could potentially have a Disney Plus series because he has got that kind of charm and everything about him, even though he's done terrible things, which they do address. Um, so, yeah, it, it kind of it gave you more of what the character, I think, was kind of beloved for, despite Marvel's writing and stuff. Um, I do like the whole, we're not doing get help. Yeah, <laughs> it's humiliating. <laughs> I, I also feel like the the elevator scene uh, felt like a pitch for the Loki series because it really. Yeah, I, I just thought, oh, was that the moment they decided to do the Loki series? Because he can carry it, like he, you can see in this movie, he can definitely carry a scene, even if it's not, you know, uh, um, bow before me or whatever, and it's comedic. There's another moment that's great on a similar note, which is when um, the Hulk basically repeats his puny god thing when he's smashing um, Thor around in the arena, and Loki just jumps up, cheers, and goes, yes, that's what it feels like. That's how it then, feels. <laughs> and then just sits down and calmly goes, I'm really into sports. Yes. <laughs> Every, yeah. I think everybody, everybody really leans into the comedy. And I do yeah. think there's a... It, Sometimes it can go a little far, and you and you yeah. think, okay, okay, lean back on the jokes a little. But they all do it exceptionally well. Yeah, definitely. Um, the next actor I had written down was basically I have to talk about. Uh, we've already mentioned him, but Anthony Hopkins, who I think does fantastic work because he has arguably the most difficult things to do in this movie because he runs the gamut from uh, Loden portraying Odin, sorry, Loki portraying Odin at the start of the movie, where he has to be kind of goofy and a little bit not himself and whatever to portraying Odin who's dying to then getting the crux of the movie at the very end of like motivating Thor into action. Um, and yeah. he's great at all of it, even though he's not in it as much as you might necessarily like. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool to have him there as that motivator, I think. <laughs> well, you know this. I mean, you've, you've, you've got the Blu-ray. Are those original, his original scenes on the Blu-rays, deleted scenes? Or... I haven't actually looked, to be perfectly honest. But uh, I do know that um, one of the things that I noted uh, later on in my notes is that I remember there was a, a lot of talk around the movie because the scene when Hella breaks Thor's hammer is in a completely different place in the trailer. Yeah, it's like the streets that, of New York. That um, teaser trailer was very... That angered me. Why? You can kind of, I'll, I'll get to it. But you can kind of see in the scene what how it is now. Because she's on a green background, it, it mm. does kind of look like she's on on a screen, if you know what I mean. It looked more natural. In okay. the of the, uh, of the New York background. I haven't hugely noticed, but I have a feeling that, like I said, if, if there were original scenes, I've got a feeling they probably took place in, like, the care home in New York with Odin. And I have a suspicion that Doctor Strange wasn't in this movie until they needed a post-credits for Doctor Strange, basically. Yeah. Because there's no reason for him to be here well, whatsoever. I remember at the time that uh, people were uh, sharing stills that they'd taken of the filming, and it was showing Odin as a homeless guy on the streets yeah. of New York. Yes. So yeah. it looks like they re they removed that. With, with, with regards to the Doctor Strange, that was apparently a happenstance thing. Watiti saw him taking down the sets from Derrickson's Doctor Strange and thought, no, I'll leave it up a bit. I can make use of this. Okay, fair enough. Um, but yeah, so did uh, did you guys have any other thoughts on, like, we'll, we'll mention Hem Hemsworth, Hiddleston, or Hopkins, the three H's? <laughs> yeah. No? No. Well, the only thing um, I've got with with Hopkins, I, th I think, as you know, it's nice to see him, but I think he was. That's one of the the gripes that I have about this film. He he still seemed very underserved. Yeah, yeah, I can't really deny that. Like I said, the story does that a lot, though, as I'll get to with a lot of other things. But yeah, yeah. the story 
It doesn't seem at all interested in what's come before and in terms of the previous Thor movies and stuff. No, it really no. Wants to, I've got notes on to, that when we get to it as well, yeah. yeah. I have the same issue that you're probably going to say. I hate the fact that it just basically takes what's already established and says, screw it, we don't want that, we're just going to reset the board completely. And Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's full scorched earth, which I don't think was necessary and I don't particularly like. But we'll get to that. <laughs> um, talking about uh, Waititi, though, he obviously directs and acts in the movie. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of acting, I do think it's good that he brings the humour uh, because he's really good at it. And his his lines as Korg are some of the best examples yeah. of humour that hits really well. Um, Definitely. He, he, yeah, like, piss off ghost. <laughs> oh, <you laughs> I love that. You took my line. Waititi as Korg has nothing else to do, but that's fine because that's the character who... It seems critical, perhaps, to see it's a one-note character, but I think in this case it works because it's so well-established and, like, well, what, what else would you expect him to do? And he's yeah. good at it, so... The hammer yeah. pulled you off. <laughs> oh, my gosh, the hammer pulled you off. Um, <laughs> Goldblum, of course, we have to talk about Goldblum, as you already mentioned, because he's a legend. Um, I was trying to get my finger on, like, some of the acting decisions and stuff in this movie, and as as per usual with Goldblum, especially in recent years... I figured out he's he's just being Jeff Goldblum at this point. That's exactly <laughs> what I've got. I mean, Jeff, I've got, Jeff Goldblum is really just Jeff Goldblum in this. But let's be honest, if he wasn't going to be, why would you hire Jeff Goldblum in the first place? Yeah. I think I can pick up a couple of uh, ad-libs from him. I can't remember off, offhand what they were, but there's a couple of moments where I'm sensing they were ad-libs. Oh, one of them was when um, Topaz hands him the thing and he's like, no, why would you hand me the destruction stick? I was just, I was just chastising it, but it's not going to kill him. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. I like um, the... Uh... Go on. One moment I love is, uh, I don't like that word. What? Mainframe? No, not mainframe. Why would I not <laughs> like mainframe? <laughs> no, the, the S word. Oh, I'm sorry. The prisoners with jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. But uh, no, I love that he gets a chance to... He, he has like a musical scene and they talk about him as like this great Lothario... Um, and he's, he he is a great double act with uh, Topaz, who I should have looked up this actress's name because she's great. And she, uh, yeah, oh, damn. another native New Zealander um, who was uh, cast in the movie, I'm assuming, by YTT. But she's a great actress and she does a great voice role in the movie Soul, if you've ever seen it as well. Um, yeah. I like the, uh, it's my birthday. <laughs> That's what I mean, yeah. The, or the fact that it's like um, the ship has no weapons because the Grandmaster uses it for orgies. Just don't touch yeah, anything. Don't touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> it's great um, Tessa Thompson we have we have to come to um, first of all the accent is a bit all over the place uh, we talked about it in our first man review because we had somebody from America on and we were talking about when English people do American accents what's it like because when American people do English accents it's often painful and this is one where I was like oof I don't know. Like... She, ne <laughs> she never quite reaches Dick Van Dyke territory I mean it, 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 it falters a little she well, doesn't reach Dick Van Dyke territory, but the point is that she seems to literally make a tour of the British Isles in every other line because it it just changes every time she talks. So yeah. it's kind of like, oh, what, what are we doing here? You know, and plus I don't <laughs> see the I don't see the need to. Ha I mean, I get it. Thor talks like that, and it's all you know, Asgard and Shakespearean and whatever. But just let her use her regular accent. There's no mm. harm in it. Um, I'll be so honest. I, I wasn't a fan of her uh, from yeah. Westworld. That, I don't even really oh, see her in Westworld. I, I think her. she was she she never really stood out to me, but she, I think she absolutely shines in this. Absolutely love her in this. And I'm the opposite. I loved her in Westworld, and I'm not impressed with her in this movie at all. Outside <laughs> now, Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, I hate to say it, but no, I just, like I said, the accent was kind of weird. I found her annoying as the kind of, uh, everything I said that's good about Korg, I kind of hated about her, that she's just the one-note drunk mopey character until the very end, and it's just kind of, it's a bit cliche for me, and I don't think she played it especially brilliantly. Like, she didn't bring anything new to that for me. So I was like, oh. Yeah, I feel like she, she's of... fine and all right, but, you know, there's so many good characters in, in this movie that it just it kind of fades in the background. Yeah. That's for me. Her moments are like everybody else's. They come to their into their own at the very end of the movie, and I get that, and that is good. But it's just it just feels like her character in this one at least is a bit superfluous. And I actually preferred her very brief appearances in like Avengers Endgame and stuff. And I am excited to see what she does with Love and Thunder because she's a great actress. I loved her in Creed as well, um, one and two. So yeah, fingers see, crossed when, for it, that. when it comes that she fades into the background, you see, I kind of feel that about Blanchett and Carl Urban. I definitely agree with you on Carl Urban, not on Kate Blanchett, though, um, because she's she's having the time of her life. But that was, that was my next two things I was going to talk about, weirdly. So uh, I'll get into it and see that. I think Blanchett is a fantastic villainous turn. Uh, like a lot of the MCU villains, she isn't technically wrong, which is always interesting. Um, because, yeah, she is right that she was wronged and she just cast aside. And yet all of these kind of riches and glory of Asgard did, in fact, come from her. Uh, and she has an understandable gripe about it and with Odin, and she is the rightful heir to the throne, so it's kind of hard. Other than, you know, the whole I am Lord of Death and I'm going to resurrect the dead and stuff is where it goes a bit far, admittedly, but there is, I think, a little bit of the traditional Marvel, is she wrong? Um, at least at first, and I have to say it, wow, she is so freaking sexy as the <laughs> as the villain turn in this movie. Um, maybe it was just me, but yeah, I, I was... Uh, looking at Kate Blanchett in a way I'd never had before during a lot of this yeah. movie. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I think she, I think she's a, a, a great actress and she does a fantastic job in whichever role she's given. But I think the role she was in this wasn't that great, if I'm being honest. It was just, we need an antagonist. Let's have Hela. You know, she's, she can be a bit of a pantomime villain at, villain at times. And I think that's as far as the character mm -hmm. development went. I think she elevated it personally. And I mean, when you look at the Thor movies... Is there any villain better than her, other than Loki, obviously? I mean, <laughs> look at what we've got to play with. She looks like positively the best thing in the world compared to like Eccleston in the second one, for example. I just think from, from again, it's a teaser trailer problem for me. Mm. How she was depicted in the teaser trailer, especially with the, the scenes that they showed and how right. she transferred into the final product, it seems a very different change in tone. And it didn't quite ring true to me. I can't say I noticed, but I would imagine that's probably to do with YTE coming in and literally, like, the whole tone of the film, I would imagine, completely changed because you can kind of see it. I mean, the film even starts with them basically addressing Ragnarok like a joke. So it is like, oh, Serta, you think you're going to do this? And yes, I'm destined to do it. No, whatever, I'm just going to make a few gags and then steal your eyebrow crown thing and then Ragnarok's nothing to worry about. Ha, ha, ha. And I was like, oh, I don't know about this either. Like, you know, but, uh... Yeah, I think after the last, I mean, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. I just think after yeah. the last two films, it's totally so different. Yes. That yeah. It was very jarring at first to me. I agree. And I've said similar in my notes, which I'm sure I'll get to as well. But uh, uh, going to the other kind of uh, pairing of that duo, I agree with you, Carl Urban is wasted to the point that I literally forgot he was in this movie until I went to rewatch it. I mean, I'd only seen it once or twice, but I f keep forgetting he's in it. And then as I was watching back, I'd made that note and I was like, he's in it more than I think, but he just makes no impact whatsoever <laughs> to the yeah. story at all. Like he makes a couple of decent-ish jokes and then he does the traditional like cliche, oh, I'm with the bad guy, but then I'm 
going to have a change of heart last minute and sacrifice myself and everything. And it's like, it's so arbitrary and it really just feels like, as an actor who we know is that good, he gets nothing really to play with, you know? No, and again, um, but, but again, it's, it's, the, it's the tonal aspect of the film because when you yeah. find out, I don't know about you, but when I found out he was playing Scourge, I thought, oh, this is going to be good. But he's yeah. not really anything like Scourge from the book. No, despite the fact they do pay lip service to it with the whole reference of Executioner. And uh, I was like, oh, we're doing that, are we? Okay, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah. Mark Ruffalo, of course, uh, we, we should probably talk about because he's a pretty major part of the movie. Um, I think he seems to enjoy playing the straight man in the movie because uh, he doesn't have to make any of the goofy jokes and stuff. And he kind of works as the kind of put upon nerd, <laughs> which I guess is very Bruce Banner anyway. <laughs> yeah. So he plays yeah. the kind of freaking out kind of... Um, not quite there, Banner, because he's been trapped inside the Hulk for two years incredibly well. So the fact that I think this is maybe my favourite Ruffalo performance in any of the movies he's done. Um, and yeah, he's also great as the Hulk, as you said, because he obviously plays the Hulk. And when he's portraying him, he's he's got humour, even though it's like the circumstance more than him making a joke. So it's stupid things like, make her stay. And he throws something and just goes, stay, please. Yeah, all that, <laughs> I love that little, that little exchange between him and Hulk like fire. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Thor like smoldering fire, Hulk like burning yeah. fire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. So I think yeah, fantastic in this. Although I do kind of not necessarily see the reason to have the Hulk, other than things that again I don't agree with, which I'll get to later. Because uh, yeah, I think uh, there's certain things here that deserve their own movie that I think are understandable if people are kind of feeling hard done by with that. But again, I'll get to that later. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Speaking of being wasted, did you guys know Idris Elba was in this movie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. As well, but, you know, I, when when Idris Elba was in the movie, I just thought, oh yeah, he was in that, and then I was expecting to see something of him, and then in the end I was like, oh yeah, that's why I forgot that he wasn't in that so much. Yeah. yeah um... I feel like he had a good story, I feel like the story they want to tell with him was really, really good, but they just gave him, like, what, 30 seconds and just thought, you know, the people are going to get it. Move on. Yeah, exactly. Again, a big actor who I'm kind of surprised because he's a big name and he, you know, you'd think he would command a lot of money and a lot of, like, having a bigger role in these films and he gets very little to do to the point that the, the film opens with him literally gone and Scourge is, like, taking over the, the Rainbow Bridge, presumably you know, as a result of Odin being actually Loki and whatever. Um, so he's got missing for most of the movie, and then he does get a kind of heroic, it's me, turn up um, at the last minute. Well, not the last minute, but like in the middle of the movie to rescue people. And he does get a chance to be heroic and have some cool moments, but it just feels like, again, he's really underserved because the film has way too many people in it. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys felt the same or... Exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, it's kind of a shame that for all of the things that they cast out from the previous Thor movies, he was one of the things that I could at least say, well, the relief of it is that at least he survives, but it's literally, spoiler alert, two minutes into Infinity War that he survives for, and then he's gone anyway. So it's like, yeah. well, what the frick was the point in that? You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, so that was the end of my notes on the acting and a few uh, ripes. Uh, did you guys have anything else before I move us on to the writing section? I've got the, I mean... Obviously, due to the improvisational nature of the script, it's hard to narrow it down to whether it's an acting thing or a writing thing. Hmm. But there are so many good lines in this. Okay. Going through, you know, I mean, going through it all would take an episode in itself. 
But yeah. I mean, <laughs> in, in, the dialogue sparkles from the speech of Odin, you know, to the little asides by the Grandmaster. And I don't really, I've, I've put it here because obviously, if we're going into writing at some point, I don't know, you know what yeah. it's down to. But uh, yeah, I mean, kudos to everybody involved in that. I think uh, I think it yeah. does have some of the best dialogue in in these movies. Yeah, I agree. And we've mentioned a lot of it already, just sort of funny jokes and stuff that are very quotable. Um, and that's good. You know what I mean? It is. It's very good. But um, one of the issues I have with the movie, and I may as well get into it now, is that I think it's it does it too much. Like a lot of people's gripes that don't like the MCU is that, oh, it's all jokes and, you know, scatter shot jokes every few minutes and whatnot. And this movie does nothing to disprove that. <laughs> yeah, this is not good for the movie for those people. Yeah. And I think personally, even as somebody who enjoys humor when it's kind of well-placed and when it's done in a way that succeeds. I think this film goes way too far, especially in the first half, to the point that it really comes off like a parody movie, like a Hot Shots or something. Because like yeah. every every line or every other line is a really cheesy, ridiculous, like farcical gag. And it, towards the halfway point, I was just exhausted and I was like, just play one thing straight for flip's sake. You know what I, mean? I, had a, I had with this when I first yeah. saw it. it. It's almost like there are two movies. There's the Asgard one, and the car one. Now, so the car one, it's fine. It's well done. It's fun. It's well directed and well written. I can't, I can't really fault it because by that point you're already in that tone. Yeah. The Asgard section after Sakaar is pretty good, even if it's a bit short. But the opener, the section with Asgard, the section with Doctor Strange, especially the Hella stuff, it seems perfunctory to the point of dismissal. As you said earlier, it's almost like they just want to get it out of the way to get yeah. to the main story and but, but you know Ragnarok's supposed to be the main story so it leaves you with a mild feeling of uh, of confusion and to me that's part of why Helen never really comes across as a real threat right okay um, I, I kind of see your point in part but yeah I think um, I like the way they tied Ragnarok into making it at the point um, but I just think they were kind of they were damned by the fact that Marvel had given this film a name already. Um, because, yeah. like you said, Ragnarok, it becomes the point, and it is crucial, and it is vital, and the whole point of it is, oh, it turns out the prophecy was completed because we had to do it after all and whatever. Um, but I do think you're right in that it's perhaps a bit misnamed and, yeah, not trying to focus on as if Ragnarok is the big thing might have benefited a bit more because it really isn't. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not I mean, it's not multiverse of madness, misnomer, but... No, 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 which is, you know... <laughs> As, as we've mentioned, the three universes of mild slight differences. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um, <laughs> So Toby's on the same page with that one. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What so, yeah, talking about the writing then, obviously the film opens with Thor doing some narration, which is within itself kind of weird because it doesn't fit with the rest of the movies. And it already immediately starts by basically disregarding what's gone before because in that narration that Thor's doing to, you know, a skeleton or whatever, he mentions that, oh, he went off to do a search for these Infinity Stones that he just gave up. And it just seems like, yeah, yeah really? Yeah, that's all we're doing for this plot of, like, this was my whole focus going out of... Avengers uh, Age of Ultron is now to look around for these stones and I'll be the focus of that. And then, nope, don't worry about it. Just ignore yeah. that now. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't like that it disposes of, of... It just, as you said earlier, it disposes of way too many elements yeah. as quickly as it's... It's, it's almost like a fire sale. You know, Odin, yeah. the Warriors 3... I mean, they deserve so much better than what they ended up. Oh, with. that was that was literally my next note and I, I that is my least favourite part of this movie because that is criminal and... 
just beyond a joke. That is a, the actors and the characters both deserve better. If you don't want to use them in your movie, fair enough, don't. But you didn't have to do what they did here, which is, I mean, Volstag and um, Fandral. Why are they here? It's literally, yeah. oh, don't do this. Knife throw, knife throw, both dead. That's yeah. it. I'm guessing, oh. I mean, I'm guessing Jamie Alexander's just like, oh, thank God our contract on, well, I can't remember the name of the TV show that she was contracted on. Blind Spot, maybe? <laughs> it could be, yeah. But at least, she, you know, she were out of it to think, oh, Christ, I don't have a needless death. Yeah. Well, that, this is the thing. I mean, she's apparently coming back in Love and Thunder. Slight spoiler, if you didn't know. Um, but, like, if she could get the reprieve, then be, by presumably just not being there or whatever, then just don't use the Warriors and just say yeah. they were off on another realm or whatever. Yeah, you don't exactly. need to... I mean, mean, Waititi said that this is what Ragnarok is. It's the destruction of everything you've come to know and love. Fair enough. But you could give him a bit more of a send-off than dead. As as I was going to say, the the note I have is that he seems to have remembered that when it comes to Hogan um, of the Warriors 3, because he at least gets a chance to make a stand and be the kind of leader of the army standing against Taylor and be kind of like, yo, I'm still not going to do it. Don't care how many, don't know who you think you are. We're going to stand up. And he gets the kind of, you know, shock heroic death of like being impaled and you're like, oh, what happened? But it's like, why did he get all of this? And yet the other two, you know, <laughs> you barely did anything to them. Like have them yeah. all make it at least, you know what I mean? Is, well, yeah, it's just, it I just mean, seemed like, uh, like this doesn't work in the previous two movies. We don't like it. We're not going to write for it. So F it. You know? I mean, I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't know about you. I think we touched upon it when we did the Marvel top 10, but when it comes to Thor, I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Mm-hmm. So I would have same. liked more of the same tone that we got in the first and second movie. But from all yeah. accounts, the Dark World was a, you know, it was a thoroughly miserable experience for all concerned. So I can understand yeah. the point of view that saw them, either the cast either not wanting to return or return only if a change was made. But together yeah. with the disposable, you know, characters, it just, it, it came across very, very strange. Yeah, there's too many things that make it just seem like a completely different movie to the point that I think this is the only one of the kind of individual solo movie franchise things that has a fourth movie because this is, like you said, it's like a completely different thing. Like the first two Thor movies are one thing and now this and Love and Thunder are going to be a whole other thing, even yeah. though they're supposed to be the same character and lead on. Yeah. So, I mean, don't yeah, get me wrong, it's a decent movie. So I won't hesitate for a second to sit through another 30 minutes of this. Oh. If those 30 minutes were at the start... And they gave the characters more to do. Yeah, but the thing is, like I said, for the first half of the movie, YTE isn't interested in doing anything besides no. making a joke. Like, he has no confidence in his ability to play things dramatically, except for one scene, which is fantastic, which is the Odin death scene, which is like, this shows that you can yeah. play things fully straight. Um, like, everything from basically Odin talking to them on uh, in Tonsberg in Norway to Hela arriving and smashing the hammer and the sheer sh- 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 threat of that and everything. I was like, see, I love this. It shows that you can play it straight. But my kind of, the thing I would point to is my criticism, criticism of that. On the other side is that the Doctor Strange scene is my least favorite scene in the film. And it's terrible because it feels the need to make slapstick jokes constantly for no reason. Like Thor teleporting throughout the Sanctum every time Strange gets up and like spilling his beer and acting all dizzy and like, oh, stop doing that. And I was like, what are we doing? Yeah, and the bit where it's kind of funny, but it feels a bit family guy after a while. It really doesn't work for me because it is so much. Like, if it had been, again, less is more. If it had simply been a matter of playing the scene straight and then at the very end you have the kind of 
the button on the gag of, oh, what happened to Loki? I've been falling for 30 minutes. That would yes. have worked. You know? <laughs> Also, it's a good like, line. It's a good line, but it just comes after so much that you just think, mm, okay. Yeah, you're exhausted by that point. <laughs> yeah. And I don't like the fact that, yes, because they dispose of the you know, the, they dispose of Warrior Three so quickly, but then mm. you have five minutes on this four play that four Odin is watching just so we can get the cameos of Matt Damon and stuff in, and it just comes across as a bit cheap. I, I, I don't complain about that because I love that and I love the cameos that they did get in there. I especially love the fact that it's Luke Hemsworth playing Thor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Matt Damon as Loki and uh, well, Sam Neill as Odin. Uh, yeah. Coming, going back to the Doctor Strange scene, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel like with Doctor Strange, there is so much potential for comedy um, that we also have seen in the MCU that I feel like, why did this movie decide to just do the cheapest jokes with when i first watched it i honestly really didn't like it i thought it was just wetiti on a cash grab yeah having looked into it more and what he finagled to get people like hopkins back it's plain now to, to me that there's a lot of love gone into this uh, yeah. so i'm a lot more impressed than i was previously but tony some of it i still can't get on board with i mean don't yeah, get me wrong I, I mean i love slapstick but you yeah. can there's the a point time and heavily. There's a time and place. I mean, on the other side of it, the humor is often great. I mean, like I said, sometimes it does work for, for Korg, the character it works. In some yeah. places it really works, like any Marvel film, but like I said, I think there's just a bit too much here, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean there's there's having... some there's some things that I love. The the ball at the window, I love stuff like that. <laughs> I'm fine. Yeah. And Banner leaping out of the jet. I love that. I hate that. That is my, oh, that is I love my that. Actually, I'm I just gonna love how pancakes <laughs> on the Bifrost. Nope, that is predictable BS. That is predictable cliche to the point that when I was when I was watching this film with my brother in the cinema, I literally turned to him and went, "He's going to pancake." It's an obvious joke, and he did. And I was like, "Oh, I cannot believe you did that." But uh, yeah, that was probably my least favorite part of the movie, actually, despite what I said earlier. <laughs> but yeah, um, having said that, like I said, in terms of positives, I do like that the comic book style and tone is kind of a lot more close to the early Thor's and very, as you said, Jack Kirby. Uh, kind of yeah. four color. Um, you can't really deny that. The new characters, I think, are all pretty good additions. Even Valkyrie, for all that I don't really love her, I don't think it's a bad addition. She doesn't take away from the movie. Um, and the likes of the Grandmaster and Korg, uh, you know, even the, the villains that are in this, I think they do do a pretty good job. So I can't really they complain come about anything. It's a bit there. too panto and soap opera for me sometimes. Uh, I don't agree as such. I see where you might be coming from, but I think uh, for me, Blanchett portrays it just right because you have to kind of go that big. Yeah, but to be honest, you, you might be being slightly led by your lines. <laughs> Very possibly, indeed. But no, I also think there's some really good moments and cool lines. And like I said, the hero moment of uh, Are You the God of Hammers is, is pretty friggin' epic and awesome at the yeah. end as well. The next thing I have to mention, because I've kind of alluded to it, is I do not love the shoehorning in of Planet Hulk. And I feel like it's really not fair to that story, which deserves better. And I get that there's rights issues and you can only really have Hulk in somebody else's movie and stuff. But Planet Hulk and World War Hulk are storylines that deserve their own movie. They do not deserve to be a C plot taken as a joke in a Thor movie. And that for me was also something that I was immediately predisposed not to like this film because I just, I, I'm not on board with that decision. I think it's criminal, um, frankly. <laughs> uh, and if anybody hasn't read those comics, I recommend doing it or watching the Planet Hulk animated movie, which is also infinitely better of an adaptation than this. Um, but yeah. 
I was curious if you guys had similar thoughts or if you're just not familiar with that storyline, maybe. No, I know, I know the storyline. I can see why they did it, why, you know, but because, as you say, the rights issue, again, it's it's just something that doesn't, I mean, it's, it's, it's well done for what it is, but it doesn't really fit for me. No. No, it does. It feels like a completely other movie, as you're saying, in the middle of the, the film, when it's like they're dealing with all the Thor stuff as best they can, and then all of a sudden they do Planet Hulk in the middle of the movie, and a very bad version of it as well. You know what I mean? So, I, I feel like as someone who doesn't know the comics, though, it, it feels... Uh, I feel the inclusion feels quite okay. Okay, if, if you look besides the point of, okay, why Hulk is here, that's a little bit glossed over, but if you just go on board with that I feel like the movie does do a good job at just doing that as a storyline. Um, yeah, but if the source material is so infinitely better, I can understand why it just feels yeah, so. It's just way more dense and it's obviously far more serious. And yeah, I mean, I get it, like I said, because you can understand why they wanted to do it and why they wanted to have the Hulk in here. But I just would have preferred to see, like I said, Planet Hulk and then World War Hulk following it would have made fantastic movies and we're never going to get them now because of this. So. It's a if shame, we're going to go frankly. for the aesthetic, I would rather have a Planet Hulk movie separately than have Eternals. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, you could do so much with it, but make it a Disney Plus series if you have to, you know what I mean? But anyway, mm. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but yeah, this is why I have an issue with it, because like I said, I, I, I love the Planet Hulk story, and I really did love the fact that they, they at least pay homage to it with the kind of Gladiator Hulk um, costumes and things, which are all on point. Like, I really love that. Even It's not part of the Planet Hulk, but I even love the kind of Thor's classic helmet um, callback when he's got the helmet that has what looks like the wings on, but they're like yeah. uh, little ratchet. Like a retro <laughs> version, yeah. Yeah, um, which works better than the one that they used in the first Thor movie, weirdly. Uh, so yeah, the Warrior that... walked down the hall and then took off and never saw again. Never saw it again, yeah. But then again, he also had bleached blonde eyebrows in the first movie that we never saw again, so that's not too late. <laughs> The notes I'm going to try and because I've mentioned a lot of this stuff already and I'm kind of we're pressed for time, so I'm going to go through a few things that I haven't mentioned. Um, one issue I have with the writing again is that it doesn't seem to recognize when it's pointing out its own kind of issues. Like it mentions that chaos has erupted across the nine realms because Odin is gone because Loki has imitated Odin, then it kills off Odin and doesn't address this fact. And it's like, yeah. hang on, you just said that there's chaos without him, but now we're supposed to just ignore that. It seems a bit weird. <laughs> and you never, it never picks up on what the destruction of Asgard, if any effect, will have on those nine realms. Yeah, exactly. Um, these are all kind of little niggles and criticisms, but I think I have to mention them. And again, in terms of just like clearing the board of everything that's gone before, it's pretty shocking that the whole exposition of Jean's not in this because she dumped him comes from just a fan passing in the street. And that's all we get. Which, uh, again, hopefully rectified in Love and Thunder, but I just didn't love that. Um, when they get to Sakaar, they point out that the champion has killed multiple people. That champion turns out to be the Hulk. Again, I'm not okay with this. this mm. is, like, did nobody notice this? What's going on? <laughs> but, uh, you know, I guess is what it is. Um, I love the funny kind of callback to, oh, the sun's getting real low on the banner to try and calm him down. That, that at least works. Um in, again, more critically, it is very convenient that Valkyrie's backstory happens to be that she was sent after Hela just as she comes back and Thor arrives on that planet. And then the exact portal they choose to go through goes exactly back to Asgard. There's a heck of a lot of plot. I've never the first time. They go through the Devil's Anus and they're right there. Yeah, it just so happens to be that it leads exactly where they need to go. Oh, I'm thinking it's, it's like, like a wishing portal. 
<laughs> There's way too much convenience in the plot that I think it tries to distract you from with humor. Having said that, I think the character motivations at least are very clear and well-defined. I love that Loki gets a few hero moments towards the end, especially. Uh, and I like the fact that, you know, Ragnarok is written as a way to stop uh, the things that are happening. So it's written in quite well. And I have to mention briefly, uh, yeah, it is kind of cool. We all knew it uh, was happening and why, but it's still nice when Loki pauses after grabbing Surtur's helmet in front of the Tesseract. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a very nice, uh, that's going to pay off in Infinity War, isn't it? And yes, it does. <laughs> um, in terms of the destruction of Asgard, I think I had an issue with it the first time around. But now I think I don't mind it because it makes thematic sense with what's oh, being told. Um, and it's from the comics. But I do wish they played it a little bit more depth to it and a bit more gravitas. So, yeah. Um, any thoughts on those guys agreed? Or oh, I was just yeah. going to ask, what, what's, your, what's the issue that you had with the, the destruction in, in the first place? I think it was just because I like Asgard and I like that it was kind of an MCU movie where the effects and everything looked great and the setup was great and I kind of had grown attached to it. But that's kind of, as I watched it the second time, I was like, that's literally the point. Is like, yeah. and and it goes to great pains to point out Asgard is not a place, which is a beautiful line, which I just, I was so blinded by like, oh, I don't want to lose this cool set or whatever that I didn't pay attention to the first time around. But on the second time, it hit me really well. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I see where what you were going for with this. And all right, okay, I can understand. So that was one of the rare situations where I changed my mind on something. So it does happen, audience. <laughs> um. Right, yeah. So any other thoughts on the writing before we move on then or Yeah. Um, because there's a scene when when there's in when Bakui and the other are introduced. Well they they aren't there the others, but it's told that they're a whole group, they they were a whole group. And it's just for being like, Oh no, I support this. I think this is and it's really played really awkwardly and it just mm. Wrong way. Yeah, there's nothing that. wrong with being a woman warrior. I wanted to be one, but I'm not a woman, and there's nothing wrong with that, and it's great. And it's like, yeah, yeah it's that's just... one of those one of those things you sense was an ad lib that they maybe shouldn't have kept in because it just comes yeah. across as awkward. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because they mentioned a lot of stuff with Asgard invading other planets and doing really gruesome stuff, and you know, with Hela also being maybe a bit too much and. It felt very imperialistic and it felt politically yeah. loaded for me. And I felt like, oh, that's such an interesting thing to delve into and to go into and to really explore that. And then they just don't do that. Yeah, um, I completely agree with you. And also, it really portrays Odin is not that cool of a guy. And yet at the very last moment, as much as I do love it when he's like motivating Thor, it never addresses like, you do realize you did some pretty shitty things, Odin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Even if you've got a scene with Thor, you know, asking himself, why did Odin do this? Why? But you never got anything like that. A lot of nasty choices, dark choices, have just, as you mentioned with the Hulk thing, just glossed over. Yeah, and yeah. just humour to gloss it over. Because as you said, it is kind of, it is a, a, a kind of painful reference to imperialism and stuff. And it is something without an easy answer. And it does, it plays in very well for me, like I said, to the whole idea of Hela is a villain who's like, you've patched over the truth of the ugliness of history with we are glorious and yet it's built on you know death destruction and chaos yeah. and where do you think all this gold came from is a very loaded line as well but as you said it's kind of it's never addressed to the point that it's kind of played like oh she's just wrong we should just ignore it and it's like mm, should we though 
Um, yeah, but and I feel like it could have been played into the end of letting Asuka go and, you know... Asuka yes. Just, yes. just, you know, we are not attached to this gold and stuff and, you know, pompous and yes. great. This was all yeah. ill-gotten anyway, so losing yeah. it is kind of so, fairer, yeah. <laughs> losing yeah. it is, well, no, it's acceptable in a way, if you know what I mean. It's like, kind of justice in, in a sense, isn't it? If you look at it that way, like morally... You didn't deserve it, so now you don't have it, and it's kind of a sort of sense of cosmic. You got what you deserved, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah, I completely agree with you. It could have been, they could have been more done with that in a more serious movie as well. So anyway, um, but in terms of what, things that worked with the direction and things that didn't. So the things that didn't work for me, I feel like the beginning was too fast paced. Like not yeah. only did no real scenes have a chance to breathe, but it feels like, as I said, the film was rushing to fall up its own identity, get rid of everything that had gone before still try to be entertaining and so it comes off very much especially in the first half like all right calm down you know <laughs> um but again that could be just me but i think i don't think so from what we've said so um critically as well there's a very early scene it's the scene i was talking about when hogan stands up against Hela and she slaughters all the armies of asgard which looks really bad and i was surprised because it's the only kind of horrendous time when the visual effects and cgi look bad but it looked like a bad like playstation 2 cut scene that, and again yeah, again, I'm wondering if they reshot quite a bit of the the first section because, yeah. again, it's the same as with the transposing from Healer from the urban background to Norway. It just comes yeah. across as really fake. Yeah, yeah, it does to me. That that one does. I didn't so much notice it in the Norway scenes, but I definitely did during that Asgard fight, and it is like, oof, what are we doing here? <laughs> um but yeah, on the other hand, I think I love it that it does like a little animated art thing to reveal the truth from the paintings of um, kind of Hela and Odin in Asgard. Uh, I liked that. Um, I like the fact that it. <laughs> this is apropos of nothing, but it's kind of cool that they finally give the Hulk the name the Incredible Hulk when they get the yeah. chance to do it, which is <laughs> nice. Um, I love, love, love everything in the... As much as I didn't like the fact that Planet Hulk is kind of hard done by, everything that's in that fight is one of my favorite things because I think the fight is great. The way it uses slow moments and slow motion, close-ups, damage to like kind of um, arena, synchronized spectators like leaning forward at the same time, and the fact that it's like a vision of Odin and the lightning charging, which is a hint for later uh, when he finally kind of is able to stand up against the Hulk. So, I love, love, love that entire fight. I think that's directed very well. Um, some, so I mean, to me, some directorial directorial choices are just. They're some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen on screen, especially from MCU. That Valkyrie flashback, to me, it's like watching a movie in Renaissance painting. Yes, I love that. And I, I, said, I said similar, but not quite the same, because I said I, it, looks, it looks to me like you could take a screen grab of that Valkyrie versus Hela scene and it would be a quality um, cover for like a 1980s metal album. Yeah. <laughs> a <laughs> few more shots good. like that and this movie, to me, a, a few more of that and a little less of the force humour and this movie would have been perfection for me. Yeah, and even at the end when Thor kind of is, is, and it's been made into a poster in a million places, but when he's like jumping and lightning striking behind him and he's basically jumping and kicking on the entire army himself yeah. at a distance, glorious looking scene and it's, yeah, it, it shows you what, what a good director Tiger can be. Yeah, it shows what you can achieve. <laughs> Valkyrie getting her Batman suiting up montage is, it's got to be a deliberate like comedy homage by Waititi Shirley and... Come on, that blatantly phallic gun that's placed right at like crotch level. That, <laughs> that's deliberate, that, right? Yeah, that's that's third things in me. It has to be said. 
Fair enough. <laughs> um, yeah, I will say as well, I, I really liked the end fight. I thought it was better staged between Thor and Hela, but it is kind of stupid that they decided to do a scene when he gets an eye gouged out in what was going to have to be like a Disney kind of movie because it's stupidly tame and it just doesn't look like anything. It's it's bloodless and ridiculous and it's just like, oh, no. Yeah, Why he kind of vanishes, doesn't it? And yeah. <laughs> with this black patch on the eye. Yeah, exactly. And it just felt like if you can't do that justice, then just don't do it, you know? Um, but yeah. And finally, on the direction, I just said that Surtur's destruction looks absolutely incredible and epic. And I could just watch that scene, even though I don't love the destruction of Asgard. I could watch the effects and stuff on that scene as just a cool image, I guess, over and over again. So, yeah. Um, any last thoughts on the direction then before we move on? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure if this fits, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Hella, um, love her outfit, love, love everything yes. about it. Hate, 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 hate the makeup. Hate it so Oh, much. I love it. <laughs> no, it's, it's so pale white, and then it's just this black eye. Like when she has the headpiece on and everything, okay, kind of works, but when it's just her hair, it just looks so out of place. I hate it. I hate it so much. It's because she's supposed to represent death. So I always took it as like she looks like a corpse. <laughs> I just took it as a goth girl angry at her daddy. Yeah, <laughs> that too, yeah. yeah it reminded me of a goth girl. It's just, I don't I'm know. going to go and listen to Fallout Boy, Scourge. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hate it. I hate it so much. It's just... I, I will say, though, I do love the touch of the, um, she kind of like slicks her hair back and then the crown thing appears every time she does it. It's just such a cool look. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. Uh, any other things? No. I've got uh, I've got some notes on the soundtrack. Well, yeah, that was the next thing is music. So fair enough. Um, go for it. Take it away. I've, I've just put a great soundtrack, not just for the use of Zeppelin's immigrant song, but for Ooh. the score. When they arrive in Sakaar, music changes, gets more electronic, and synthesizer heavy. Yes. Eventually, the more orchestral elements of the Asgardian uh, score and the synth elements uh, become interwoven. Apparently, this is something I did find out while researching. Apparently, composer Mothersbaugh wanted to create Jean-Michel Jarre-like soundscapes using mm -hmm. things nothing, using nothing very modern. He was using old analog synths, including one he got years ago from Robert Moog himself. Nice. Cool. I, I mean, I've I've made it my my purpose. I own every single MCU soundtrack, but really? this wow. is but this is the only one I have on my player. Oh, nice. To listen cool. to regular. I just, I love it. I mean, I'm a Jean-Michel Jarre addict anyway, so this will right up my alley. Awesome. Cool. Uh, anything else on the music, uh, DK? No? <laughs> no, not me. Um, no, I said the same. I think the use of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song is good at the start of the movie, exceptional at the end of the movie for yep. the big hero moment. Um, part of me wishes it hadn't been used in the trailers because it lessens the impact a little bit. Um, but I get it. That's how you build up the hype for the movie. Uh, and you've said everything about, yeah, techno uh, synth music and everything, the way it can play in, especially during the escape on the Audrey spaceship and whatnot. Um, but the other secondary notes that I made are during that, personally, I was getting some real Flash Gordon vibes when it got very synthy. Um, the 80s movie, obviously, I'm referring to here. And I think that might be deliberate as well, because tonally, I, I can imagine that being kind of an influence to the space yeah. stuff that uh, they were doing. Uh, and finally, yes, I think it's hilarious that they used pure imagination from Willy Wonka as the backdrop to when he's like getting the exposition, uh, like trip through yeah. everything. Because you know, they expecting... even used the effect from the yeah. boat. Yeah, I the love boat. that section. 
which is the trippiest scene in the world if you've never seen Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> you know, as it just goes in Jim going, and there's no earthly day of knowing just how far that we are going. And then the lights come at you and it's like, what the heck, man? <laughs> just a drug trip in the middle of this kid's movie. <laughs> it's a stone cold classic and it beats it's the Johnny cool. Depp version into the ground. Oh, by miles, by country miles. He backs it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, did you have any thoughts on the music that we might not have covered toby <laughs> uh yeah i'm gonna say about the synths um not the biggest fan of them to be honest okay. I, I feel like th there were some moments and i have one moment i noticed but i don't didn't write it down and i forgot uh but there was one moment where there was a synth and i was like this took me out this was just unfitting um yeah not yeah. the biggest fan of the synth, but the rest of the music I really like. Fair enough. So yeah. I've got a couple of things that I've written under scenes because they were just kind of thoughts that didn't fit anywhere else and they were only a couple of things. So um, it is things like, I love, again, we can look at this in retrospect now and it works really well as a table setting for Infinity War. But in terms of what the MCU has kind of developed into now, I love watching this back and having Odin say, Asgard is not a place, it, it could be home, this place could be home. And it is literally where they set up New Asgard, yeah. which is a nice touch. Um, what was I going to say? I love, uh, I think Valkyrie gets a really good badass intro, but it's immediately ruined by the joke of her like prat falling because she's drunk and stuff, which again is another example of let something play out before you just go for the gag. And it's really jarring that she just mows down an entire like stream of people with like machine guns in an opening scene. I was like, whoa, this is. I mean, I'm not averse to violence, but calm the F down, you know? Do you know, I couldn't remember that. And then when I watched it this time, I'm like, shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, we haven't really mentioned these things, but I'm going to have to because they are great and they do come up a lot, but I have to say it, yes. The lines when Korg is introduced are so good. Hey, guy made out of rocks here. <laughs> but you don't need to worry unless you're made out of scissors. Just a little rock, paper, scissors joke for you. Yeah. <laughs> Just a great line. And the lines about... Um, he didn't like his, uh, his, his, what is it, stepfather. He tried to have a revolution, but he didn't make enough pamphlets or whatever. And yeah. um, referring to him as new Doug, you're oh, another, yes. another Doug, you're just another <laughs> guy that's going to get killed. And you've already mentioned the best two, but I'm going to mention them later anyway, so I'm not going to say that again now. Um, yeah. The, the very end scene as well, this probably should have been in direction, but the way that it's framed, the end scene, with them all up against that window and the throne in the middle, very reminiscent of the end of Star Wars. The uh, a new hope. I mean, um, so yeah. yeah. And just uh, just finally, there are two post credit scenes, as is I think common for most Marvel movies. I can't remember why, but for some reason I left before seeing the second one when I was at the cinema. I must have been in a hurry or needed the loo or something. Um, the first one is great because it sets up Infinity War, but it's a shame that we get another movie in between because it just feels weird that we move away from that to do Black Panther, then come back to it, um, which doesn't work as well. But yeah, the second post-credit scene is the Gold Bloom gag at the very end, which is some of the best humor in the movie. And I feel bad that I hadn't seen it until like three days ago because I really thought it was funny. When it's like a <laughs> successful revolution, you know, you can't have that without someone to overthrow. So, you know, everyone, great job and let's call it a tie. <laughs> Ultimately, it was so good. I was going to move on to the sort of favorite character moment and line things, but... As you're the guest, Toby will hit you first, and then DK, welcome to you, and then I'll answer last. So we'll start with who was your favourite character in this movie, Toby? My favourite character in this movie. I'm just going to say Thor. I feel like okay. he's, he's doing very well as a protagonist in this movie. He's very fun, and 
I like the new the new fall that's different than before, like yeah. totally. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. And I feel like from all the stuff that has gone wrong with humor, I feel like Paul has probably the least of that, hmm. in my opinion. Definitely, yeah. He gets the chance to be dramatic as well, which I think helps because at the end of the movie, he's not playing everything as a joke and he is kind of, I'm just exactly. so defeated and what can I do? And then, yeah, drama is uh, is played without a little bit of room to breathe. So I, I'm with you on that, definitely. Uh, what about you, DK? Who was your favourite character? <laughs> Okay, now believe me, this was a close one. There's obviously a few contenders for this. And oh, for yes. the longest time, it was going to be Korg. He does have the best lines. But I <laughs> think yes. I'm going to go with someone else, and you're going to freaking hate me for this. But especially after this rewatch, I'm going to have to give it to Valkyrie. Okay, fair enough. Not That's all, all right. A lot of people do like to her. Me, yeah, not only to me, she's one of the most interesting, but in my opinion... Faulty accents at times or not, Tessa Thompson just just brings it, and in my opinion, she just she makes this movie. Fair enough. I, I say I don't think my opinion is necessarily a popular one, but um, it's just you know I'm being as honest as I can. That's what I'm here for <laughs> in doing the podcast you know, for you know. But, uh, and there's that uh, gun scene. So. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm going to give mine then. My favourite character, in much the same way, there were lots of contenders. And yes, it was very nearly Korg, but ultimately it is Thor because it's his movie and it is a chance for him to come into his own and play the comedy a bit better, which Hemsworth does well, and yet get the chance to be dramatic. And again, it feeds into his story really well, particularly once you've seen Infinity War and Endgame and everything as well. So I think I really appreciated what it did for the character of Thor. It's just a shame that it didn't do it for all of his supporting cast who just got cast away before they got a chance to have a similar yeah. development. But uh, again, that's neither here nor there. Um, so what was your favorite scene or moment in the movie, Toby? Uh, my favorite scene or moment was um, the moment where it's a very, <laughs> it's a moment that nobody ever pays attention to, but it's the one where for just throws rocks at Loki and Loki's just getting slightly annoyed and it just I feel like <laughs> that's Loki's a good scene, yeah. It's just the funniest thing ever. I just, yeah. I it really so is um, it's good as well that we haven't really mentioned this, but I really love the payoff of that that at the end of the movie, um Loki is is talking to Thor and he's like, if you were here and then throws the ball and Loki catches it and says, I am here this yeah. time and it's kind of like wow that's such a good again you can do the drama when you when you just calm down a bit yeah but uh yeah so what about you dk <laughs> it's it's got to be the section where hella she asks thor what what are you the god of again yeah and he just lets rip kicks off the immigrant song and that shot of him leaping into action against yep. the army yep. is just chef's kiss that well you took mine so <laughs> thanks for that <laughs> I said exactly the same. I admit that it's a cliche, but the moment of like the hero finding their power leading to the grand like final act and heroism prevailing and, you know, like you said, all kind of uh, everything kicking off and looking amazing and the thunder and everything behind him. It's just great. So, yeah, same, yeah. <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and finally, and this is going to be a tough one. What was your favorite line of dialogue in the movie? Uh, we'll go to you first, uh, Toby, again. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> favorite line of dialogue um oh that's hard yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just gonna say it's, it's again the the, the, the mainframe joke I that. yeah <laughs> it's gonna be a joke i think from 90 percent of the time but yeah i do love that why would i like why would i not like the word mainframe <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh, what about you dk <laughs> uh 
I have two here, but I'm just going to go. Oh, I have four, them. so it's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of them is the the one that is expected, which is the Asgard is not a place, it's a people. Mm -hmm. I think that's a brilliant line. And the other one, it's a, a pretty crap line, but it pretty much sums up my philosophy on life, uh, where Valkyrie says, and we need one with cup holders because we're going to die, so drinks. <laughs> I didn't even pick up on that line, but I like it. Yeah. And interesting, awesome. Um, well, I, I have four lines, so it's basically three honourable mentions and one that wins. Uh, so in fourth place, we've already mentioned it, but um, I admired the snake, and he turned back and was like, ha, it's me, and he stabbed me. <laughs> it's my fourth place one. Uh, my third place one is, oh my gosh, the hammer pulled you off. It's <laughs> just stupid but funny. Um, the you second place one. Man. Oh, thanks, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it's all good. It's just a lot of time watching Tiger Waititi. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, um, in second place and a very close second was also Asgard's not a place. It never was. This could be Asgard. I'm not as strong as you. No, you're stronger. It was a great like uh, run. My number one, and I don't know why, and I pee myself every time I watch this movie, it's definitely, piss off, ghost! <laughs> <laughs> I just love, I don't even know why, I can't explain why it's funny, but it's the fact that the way that he runs in and kicks and he's so it sincere. It comes from nowhere, doesn't he? <laughs> it's the best example of humour working really well. I, I just, I love it a bit. So, um, Before we go on to our conclusions then, uh, I was going to go to the audience interaction section. Uh, as always, I put out sort of tweets, Facebook posts, and uh, a Discord server that I'm in for movies to ask what people thought of this movie. Um, did you guys have any audience interactions that you wanted to share first? Or I've got a couple, if you want me to go, go first, mate. Uh, yeah, it, yeah uh, I normally post it in uh, the Screen Talk group, and Dave Trotter, the admin from that, said, Absolutely sublime. Taika was shot in the arm that this character needed. Korg, Valkyrie, Hela, Surtur, Scourge, Grandmaster, all incredibly written and performed characters. The comedy isn't for everyone, apparently because, you know, the internet. But I think it fits like a glove. Not to mention the way it seamlessly segs into Infinity War. I think the last time I did a ranked MCU list, it might have been sitting at number three or maybe number four. I love it. And Nick wow. says, love me some Ragnarok. Gloriously funny, but much more than that. There's some of the best character work in the MCU, both old, Thor, Loki and Hulk. A new, particularly Korg and Valkyrie. Shame the Warriors 3 were poorly served. Kate Blanchett's Heller is one of the better MCU villains. I'll see you later, Nick. And there's some real emotion in the climax leading nicely into the events of Infinity War. So thanks for that, guys. Awesome. Um, was that it, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Um, okay, so from Twitter, uh, regular contributor at Will Templar, as you all know, um, uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to include this because it's going to take a long time to get through, but he left a very vast, complicated, and lengthy review. V good. Thanks for that, Will. <laughs> I've, I've, uh, no, I've told him, though, that's two words. He's slipping. It's normally one. <laughs> yeah, decent. <laughs> yeah. As I pointed out to him, though, he didn't even spell out the word very, so his entire review is five letters. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Max Ingram at Sleeping Logs Die said... Love this movie. Think it has a great mix of comedy, heart, character building, and action. Really looking forward to the next entry. Uh, my little brother, I asked him what he thought about it, and he just said, loved it. Best Thor film. That's Sam Millican, if you're looking for him on the internet. Um, over on Facebook, oh, sorry, on Instagram, I actually got feedback for the first time ever. Uh, my friend Jane Marley said, love it, love it, love it. Reinvigorated the Thor series and made good use of Chris Hemsworth's comedic side. Loved how bright and colorful it was, too. Thanks for that, Jane. Awesome. Um, 
on Twitter again at Dr. Ohu. Uh, that's the, one of the lads, of course, from MCU C2C and Doctor Who C2C. Uh, just says, it's my fave Thor. Uh, Steve Wasling at Simarad, regular contributor, says, it's, I think it's my favorite MCU film, just packed full of good bits and quotable lines, which it's kind of hard to disagree with. Um, and then finally, over on my Discord server, I just asked what people thought about it, and I only had four responses. Bailey What I just says, good movie, funny. Okay. Uh, a charming little lad says banger. <laughs> Highlander just says loved it. And Mystery Angel says it made me watch every other Taika movie within a week, which I think it did to our guest from last week as well, actually. So um, I love that. Good movie, funny. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's even funnier because they've spelt funny F U N N space E. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, so then, yeah, just to finish off, then, if we've got conclusions and scores out of five stars, uh, and again, we'll start with you as the other guest, uh, Toby, why not? I think this movie is incredible fun. Yes, okay. just say that. Um, yeah, the comedy is sometimes overused, and there are some things that ha would have potential for more dramatic entry. To the story that weren't used, that some I wish were used, some uh, I wish were explored. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think this movie is still incredibly fun and yeah, just just fun to watch. Okay. Uh, on stars, I'm gonna say out of five. Um, yeah. Three and a half. Okay. Fair enough. Um, DK, do you want to go next or would you rather I went? <laughs> uh, I'll get it out. Uh, I expected Thor Ragnarok to be a difficult one for me. I was not as enamoured with it on release as the majority seemed to be. In my opinion, it took the tone that I expected from the first movies and disregarded it in favour of cheap gags and Guardians of the Galaxy aesthetics. I originally believed it to be disrespectful to the source material. It seemed a cheat almost on Waititi's part and I couldn't get on board with that. It's an enjoyable movie, yes, but it was never in my top 10 Marvel films, as evidenced by our top 10 Marvel films. And it certainly wasn't my favourite out of the Thor series. As such, I came here thoroughly ready to voice that opinion. And then I researched into the movie for the behind-the-scenes section. And the more I researched, the more respect I have for this production. From Wantiti's personal demeanour, uh, I thought he took everything as a joke. But uh, it appears it's now anything but. And it's now only on my third rewatch that I've come to see this. Looking at what he had to deal with to get this film produced was, in my opinion, nothing short of a miracle. And it's filled with so many Easter eggs, tributes and classic moments. I came away from it this time fully acknowledging that I could have been wrong about it. Is it the perfect movie? Nope. I still contest that the first half's too rushed in order to cram everything in. And because of this, the main antagonist comes across as a pantomime villain more than a serious threat. There are some questionable decisions regarding characterization or lack of it, with any dramatic license or emotion disregarded in favour of humour. And in a film that needs to say so much, it undercuts the first half for what is essentially cheap thrills. It gives the entire thing a feeling of being off somehow. Once the movie gets to Sakaar, however, it finds time to breathe a little. And while the Asgard sections never really come across as important, say for the latter 30 minutes, the action flows along at a brisk pace. It's fun. The acting, especially considering much of it was improvised, is excellent. The direction in many cases is sublime, not something I would have expected. Sorry, Taika. And Mother's Bird soundtrack is fantastic, and that's even before the Zeppelin kicks in. It's a Kirby movie done right, 
and on this rewatch, everything finally clicked into place for me. It's not the best, and tonally, it's not where I would have gone with it, but it's got a lot of heart, and if I'm being honest, it works. And for that, I can finally forgive its missteps. If Love and Thunder is as good as this, then I will not be complaining. And I've given it three and a half. Okay, awesome. Um, it's really scary how on the same page we are, because I have a similarly long... Uh, conclusion DK and it says almost exactly the same things that you do so <laughs> apologies if this seems repetitive audience but uh, I just said I'd previously said about this movie that it was highly entertaining but completely undercuts the character and law I stand by that but I hadn't really been fair in noticing its establishment of new law or use of things from Norse mythology or Marvel comics often more respectfully in places as well Unfortunately, the film still suffers for me from its callous disregard of the previous Thor films and from being too irreverent and wacky, especially in the first half. This tone is jarring, and even when the movie itself transitions into some great dramatic moments, it leaves it feeling unfocused and disjointed. Credit where it's due, though, that there are some great gags along with several bad ones, and some humour does really hit, although truly I would have preferred more restraint, less is more sometimes. The film's highlight is an ending which I didn't previously credit enough for how well it's written, tied together and staged, and the film ultimately sits really well within its place in the continuing shared MCU narrative. The effects vary from one or two really dodgy scenes to a lot of awesomeness. The acting is as great as you'd expect, although there are still too many people to try and service, and there's some very nice visuals and Kirby atmosphere. Previously, I gave the film three stars, but now I see that was a tad harsh. There's lots to like here if you can take the movie as its own thing, although the problems I have are still present enough to prevent me going too much higher. And I also gave it three and a half stars. Wow. <laughs> wow. So how are we going to work out this average? <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 3.5 out of 5 would be the average. <laughs> but that we all gave exactly the same score, and there were three of us. So that's got to be a first. So, yeah, like the podcast has uh, unequivocally finally decided Thor Ragnarok is a three and a half stars out of five movie. So there we go. Awesome. Um, right. Well, that will conclude things. Just before we go, Toby, did you want to shout out anywhere where people can find you? Uh, I will leave links in the description, obviously, to your YouTube videos and projects and things. Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter, obviously. That's where I'm mostly at, uh, dark underscore sonic 2002. Um, and on my YouTube channel, where I, if you happen to watch this and know German, you can subscribe there. We I do with friends reviews just like this, just like we did now in English here, in English here. Um, yeah, about MCU and Star Wars mostly and some other movies, if we watch them and felt like talking about them. Cool. Um, the YouTube channel is called Zusammenschauen. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah, really appreciate you joining us again, buddy. It's always good having you on, and you always know your stuff when it comes to uh, Marvel and things you like, so I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you again, and uh, yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on. <laughs> it was um, great to be here after the last time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so great awesome. to have, um, how you say it? Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to let you go before we get into the other uh, final things and we give our sign-offs. But uh, thanks again for joining us, Toby, and uh, hopefully we'll catch you again for another one soon. <laughs> All yeah, right. Cheers, mate. Take care, bud. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, just to give you uh, – we have a few things to deal with here, which is why I let Toby go. Um Obviously, you can find us in the usual places. They're all in the description of the video uh, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm at Ian Mike Wilson on Twitter uh, is my personal account. Um, you know, 
it, it's all there, basically. We will eventually, I think, be forming some kind of way of getting this across to people that's a bit clearer. But uh, DK did want to kind of uh, address some things in the state of the world as it currently is, shall we say. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to cross over to you, DK, and ask you to uh, present that, please. <laughs> all right. Cheers, Mike. Uh, yeah, if like us, you've been completely disheartened by the, uh, the court's decision in the US to strike down Roe versus Wade... Uh, there has been a, a fund set up. It's uh, by the uh, group What Choice uh, Do I Have? Or What Choice, sorry. It's a Star Wars uh, group, but I've, kind of, I've asked them permission if we could post it on our podcast, and they've kindly given us permission. Uh, it's a campaign to protect choice and bodily autonomy. They're raising money for the National Abortion Federation, they not only help clinics against increasing attacks and violence, but they also offer a multilingual hotline for support as well as funds for procedures and travel. So if this cause uh, means as much to you as it does to us and in granting uh, people the right to their own bodily autonomy, then, uh, you know, obviously, please help if you can. Please give as much as you can. We will put the, the link to the GoFundMe in the description. Absolutely. And without wanting to get too political, I think uh, we're seeing things in America, particularly going down a very dark road. And I think uh, we all kind of have to do our bit, I think, now and stand up against and point out to those in power, ostensibly, that uh, we're not going to stand for this anymore. Uh, so which is why I wanted to do a little bit, if we could, here and uh, shout that out. So please do go and check that out if you can. We'd appreciate it. And uh, thanks, Tiki, for bringing that to our attention. And, uh, no worries, man. Yeah, we will be back next week uh, on a lighter note with uh, the final episode of Series 2 of the Silver Screen Podcast. Or I will be back. DK will be setting this one out uh, because I am joined by three guests. Uh, it's going to be a bit of a, a loud, raucous one because I'm joined by all three of the presenters of the We Pay For Your Floor podcast. That being uh, Andy, Phil and Sarah. Uh, and the four of us are going to be reviewing the movie Chicago. So there's going to be a lot of jokes, a lot of songs and... Uh, hopefully an explosive end to this series. Uh, although TK will be back not long after that with a review without me there. Uh, did you want to tell the audience about that, DK? <laughs> yeah, in July, I will be hosting an episode with a couple of guests who are newcomers to the podcast, which is Nick and Melina. And we will be taking a look at the 1987 Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Predator, just in time for the Prey movie to be released on Disney+. Plus. Get to the chopper. Awesome. So, <laughs> uh, it seems very fitting to end in my usual way then. So thanks again to everyone uh, who listened to us, to Toby for joining us, uh, to DK as always. And remember, in the epic words of Arnie, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs>